The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started, before we get started this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, rotoballer.com, proud sponsor of the show. Great products over there, premium products, premium tools, premium Slack chat, articles, a lot of free articles as well. A lot of great stuff over there. You know, I write a lot of DFS content at rotoballer.com for baseball and football. We have a lot of season-long content for baseball coming up even as the season winds on down. So go over to rotoballer.com, join the premium package, use promo code Bubba for 10% off the package of your choice. Also, if you are into fantasy sports, which you obviously are for listening to the show, and you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports, and you live for the short-term gratification at DFS, then you have to try it out. You have to try out Owner's Box, everybody. It's a weekly fantasy sports game on Owner's Box. WFS, not DFS, WFS, weekly fantasy sports. Head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged throughout live drafting and new multi-week games. OwnerBox will be playing out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first-ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. So basically... You sign up. You come play at Owner's Box. Use rotoballer.com slash box to sign up. Then you bring your friends in, and you get a little kickback for that. You have your own leagues, weekly leagues, talk all the trash, have all the fun. Hey, but that's not it. In honor of the NFL season going forward, Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit up to $50 when you head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your rewards and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports at WFS. For all you lovers of fantasy sports, weekly fantasy sports, owner's box, rotoballer.com backslash box for a $50 deposit bonus. Now to this new episode of Benched with Bubba.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 56. Going to pick up where we left off last week, doing some deeper starting pitcher ADP debates from the two early mock drafts and a ton of listener questions. You guys came through in a big way. We still had like two or three left over from last week. We have a lot more this week. So keep those coming in. That'll help the show out a ton during the offseason as we get position previews coming up pretty soon. You can find me on Twitter at Pediantric and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? You know, we're, we're doing pretty well, Bubba. Um, I, um, I, for those of you who are not watching the stream, I'm repping my own hat inspired by, uh, by streamer, uh, SP, SP streamer, SP streamer, um, and the gear that they, uh, that they had. So I thought I'd, I'd wear the hat today and, you know, rock out. So there's nothing I love more than a little good self promotion. So, <laughs> Um. Yeah, but things are things are things are going well. It's exciting to like dive into fantasy baseball. Yeah. Honestly, like I've really been starting to get into it. You know, and like and the, all the number of questions that we've gotten is like kind of inspiring. You know, it's like man, all these people have all these great questions, and I haven't really started my research that much. I really got to dive into this, or else be way behind because I'll figure things out. Like last week when I was like, oh my god, Pablo Lopez is like really good. And I, I, I don't think I was I was underestimating that. So. Yeah, well, the, I'm question, the questions are great because most of them pertain to the topic on hand, but there's always like some that are so deep. It's just like, like I, I'm not that far into the game yet. Like I've been playing with stuff. I've been working on articles and whatnot when I have time. I even, I had about an hour. I just like started going through streamer this weekend, which was just, man, if I had more time on that, that was so much fun. I saw you got, you dabbled in it here in the last few days. It's it's wild. Some of those projections, like there's someone who's like, there's no way. Like, there's just no, no, I, I can't buy into it. But uh, they're pretty good at what they do. So I should probably like not completely write that one off. But uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll definitely use more uh, streamer conversation in the coming weeks as we uh, get going with stuff. Um, let's just kick it off since we have so many um, questions to do. We'll finish up with some of our debates. These guys will be kicking off. Pick 95 and 98 overall, I believe. I just saw, yeah, 95, 98 overall. Jose Barrios versus Dylan Bundy. It's the always reliable Barrios. Gets you the Indians all the time. And there's Bundy who had a big season, kind of faded a little bit towards the end, but still a much better season outside of Baltimore. Where do you go on this one? Um, I'm going Bundy. Um, you know, Barrios is just kind of that guy, like it seems like regardless of what he does, He's just kind of mediocre. And I don't mean that in like a super mean way. Like he's, it's not like he's a bad pitcher necessarily, but like this year, I remember in spring training, he came in with the additional velocity, which he carried through to the, um, to the season. And so everybody was, I was kind of excited about that. Like, Oh, like this is one of the things that can actually change. I mean, his view was up 1.5 miles per hour, but it really seems like he struggled at least initially with, um, with control you know, so like his K rate jumped, but only to 25.1%. So slightly better than the average, but his walk rate jumped uh, considerably again. And, you know, some of the fundamentals like underlying that his zone percentage was down about 4%. His O swing was down 2%. So whether or not it justified the 9.6%, it certainly justified an increase in the walk rate. And for a guy who's not striking out a bunch of guys and, you know, he's just kind of mediocre. So if you're looking for like a three, eight, ERA, you're looking for, you know, a strikeout, about a strikeout an inning, you know, a, a bland kind of whip. I feel like, you know, he's he's fine. But I really feel like Bundy has a little bit more upside than um, 
you know, than Barrios did. And, and Bundy was like running really hot towards the beginning of the, He's kind of an interesting guy because he was running so hot at the beginning of the year and he was due some massive regression. And then it kind of came and it came fast and it came furious. And so he was like shooting up boards and then he hits this regression patch and he's fallen. And I actually feel like there might be a little bit of value with him because I think he was a little unlucky when all was said and done. I was surprised I was looking through the starting pitcher barrel leaders last yesterday and he's actually pretty low. I think he gave up eight barrels um, all of last year, um, which was one of the better marks for starting pitchers, which was surprising because generally he struggled with that. Um, and I haven't looked this up, so I'm going to see. So yeah, so he gave up five home runs in eight in in um, in eight barrels, so about where you'd expect him to be. But what I loved about what he did, he started throwing the fastball, which is not his best pitch, you know. Less um, he increased the usage of his slider and his changeup, I believe, which are both really good pitches that we that we knew about. So um, for me, he's a guy that I look at and I'm like, you want to know something? He was solid last year. I think he's got a higher ceiling. I think he's got a fairly similar floor, at least with the new arsenal that he has. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And he, and he also had, you know, harder, a harder schedule, right? I mean, Barrios was going up against the AL Central all year long and didn't have to face his own lineup, although they ended up being kind of mediocre when all was said and done. So anyway, that's a really long way of saying I like Dylan Bundy more. Yeah, a pretty considerable mar- margin too. Yeah, I'm on the Dylan Bundy train as well. Like Barrios, I, I like. It's just he's kind of blah, and it's just you're gonna get like you said a 380 RA, an okay WHIP. Strikeouts usually aren't over the moon great, and the fact is Walker going up this year is kind of concerning. Like the the caveat was always okay, well, he's pitching for the Twins, that's gonna be good, and he always had some interesting home road splits where they were a little better this past year, but they, it's been a, a trend of his as well. So he's kind of like a. Uh, I, I like to think of him as a poor man's Kyle Hendricks. Maybe I'm not giving Kyle Hendricks enough credit there, but they're just they're not going to light the world on fire. But by the end of the year, you're going to get a guy that's like a quality start machine, and that's just what he's going to be. But nothing fancy. Um, where Dylan Buddy has that ability to go over the top type thing. When he had bad outings, he had bad outings. But when he was on, it was like seven plus innings of like eight, nine, ten strikeouts. He was absolutely filthy in a lot of games. So. Uh, you, you look at his, his bad games. He had four runs and four years of the freaking Giants. He gave up five runs and two and two thirds of the Arizona Diamondbacks who couldn't hit anybody. So that just tells you like kind of fluky games. Otherwise, he was pitching really like he shut down Houston a couple times. He shut down the A's who everyone appeared to do apparently this past season. But uh, he, he's a very, very good pitcher. The uh, the Central, I would, I'd favor Barrios in that regard, facing the Central at the, the uh, Tigers and Royals and all that good stuff. But, yeah, give me Bundy. Give me that upside. I guess if you take a bunch of chances early with your pitching, maybe you go Barrios because you know what you're going to get. But I guess if you're already taking chances by then, just just go get Bundy. That's just probably the way to go in that regard. All right. The next one, uh, you mentioned him earlier. So we talked about him last week. You you discovered who Pablo Lopez was. You joined the Pablo Lopez party. He's, going at, he's at 131.2. Ian Anderson coming off that massive postseason, 131.3. And then Lance McCullers Jr., who the postseason was very kind to him too because never really got to see him stretch it out in the regular season at 131.6. So they're divided by a total of 0.4 draft slots. So basically the same pick. Where do you go on these three? Yeah, I mean, I've always I've always kind of – well, I think Lopez is the easy answer. I mean, we talked about him last week. We talked about him – mentioned before, I mean, I was really impressed when I kind of dove in and looked, like there wasn't really any holes 
that I saw um, in that particular situation. Uh, Dusty Wagner saying, give me McCullers, as, as any good Astros fan would. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think Lopez is just really solid across the board. Um, Marlins are an improving team. So, you know, from the wins department, like, you know, solid enough. So I actually really loved what I saw there. I think the last one that I'd take, and I was amazed. I saw, like, I think in one of the first DCs, he went as a top 100 pick, uh, Ian Anderson. Um, you know, again, I think there's reasons to really like him. Um, obviously, like, he came out a blazing. You know, um, I just wonder, like, as people get to see him a couple times, um, you know, his walk metrics are really scary. Like, he just doesn't get guys to chase on pitches um, outside the zone. Uh, down at 27.6%, which always freaks me out because when a guy come, has to is forced to come into the zone against good teams, I think that's when you can really get hurt pretty badly. His in-zone contact rate was solid as well, and he's got – I think it's the changeup is his best pitch, I want to say. I should check out these pitches. Yeah, so changeup, 18.9% swinging strike rate, but even that, like, you know, it's it's got a 26.7% O swing, so not really getting chases on pitches outside the zone. Um, so this is all to say, like, I just think that massive regression is coming his way. I know that he had pedigree as a prospect, but that walk rate, you know, he had a 0.28 home runs per nine. Uh, he had a 250 Babbitt. So I just think that there's going to be a lot of regression coming and he hasn't seen it yet. And I can't remember what, do they have the postseason? It's not on. Yeah. So it's like. So his strand rate in the postseason was like 90.5%, a 256 Babbitt. He had a, a 13% walk rate, you know? And so I don't think there's any denying that the stuff is really good, but I think it's one of these situations where a guy comes into the league and guys are seeing them for the first time. And I think what's challenging for a pitcher is once the book is out on you or what, once people understand like how good you're going to be, um, or like what you're going to be bringing to the table, like on a, on a, when they go against you, I think that's when you see hitters adjust. And I just think it could be pretty, pretty scary with the walk rate that he has. So I'm staying far clear, especially at that price right there. I've never been a big McCullers guy for whatever reason. I feel like he's one of these guys that I just can never embrace because he always has those terrible outings, you know, that just kind of blow it up, but you know, he's been solid the last couple of years. So everything's been really good. Um, It'll be interesting. I guess he's a, no, he's not a free agent this year. Agent, next no. year. Next year. So with the Astros, I mean, that's solid enough. So I'd probably go Lopez, close second McCullers. You know, yeah, I think that'd definitely be what I would do. Um, you know, McCullers, the inconsistency is a little bit challenging. And then, you know, this year, yeah, the stuff wasn't as good coming back, which you would probably expect from Tommy John, but. I don't know. I'm I'm not a good person to ask about McCuller. Sorry, Dusty, because I'm I'm normally kind of the low person on him. But maybe I need to do a little bit more investigating as to why that is and and why I might be wrong. Yeah, I've always been a big McCullers fan, and we saw as the season went on, they started working him back more and more from TJ, and come the postseason, they kind of slid him loose, and they look like the McCullers that we've grown to love. So if you throw postseason with regular season, you still threw almost seventy innings, which I think is outstanding. On a sixty-game season, like I'll, I'll take that right now. All things considered, and that should ramp him back up to hopefully one thirty plus, like next year. Because I think they'll just let him go after since he's got that year under his belt. Uh, they only have 
control over him, I believe, for a couple more seasons. Yeah. Um, after yeah, he's Arbel eligible this year, free agent twenty two. So mm-hmm. he's got a couple more years there. I think they'll let him go because they need him to. They they keep losing pitchers. Uh, Verlander, who knows if he'll pitch at all next year or how much he's going to pitch next year. They need McCullers in a bad bad way. So uh, I like him quite a bit. I like Pablo Lopez more. Like I think there's a mm-hmm. lot more to like there with Pablo Lopez. But I think McCullers is pretty darn close. Like I'd be happy getting him because at this point in the draft, he's your SP. Let's hope four, maybe five. Depends on how aggressive you are in the starting pitching world. And if you can get either one of these guys, but even McCullers, I think McCullers has a much higher ceiling than Pablo Lopez to me. So mm-hmm. it's one of those, if he runs good, he can, because you saw in the postseason, the strikeout rate he came back with, uh, he had a 35.4% strikeout rate. I know that's high, but the part I like more is he dropped from an 8.8% walk rate in the regular season to 3.1. Mm-hmm. His whole career, he's been 8, 8, 9, 5, 7, 8. He's never been close to 3-1. We saw things develop with him. Where he used to be like a strictly curveball guy, he was locating a lot of pitches. Like, and that was like the guy we saw a couple of years ago before he started getting hurt. So, I could still be crazy because it's still not that far removed from an injury, and that's kind of just you know a no no zone for some. I, I think um, McCullers is a good value at this point in time. I think last year when we were looking at drafts, like right now, one thirty one, he was going around this time last year, fresh off of TJ. So. I, I think there's a lot to like there. So, yes, Pablo and McCullers, 1A, 1B. McCullers plays the higher ceiling. Ian Anderson, I'll go third. There's way too many walking going on there. You mentioned that the quality contact, 1.2% barrel rate. If that changes at all in that ballpark, that's going to be trouble in a big, big way. So, um, yeah, I put him third for me. The one the one thing I'll note and like diving in a little bit more is there's a significant pitch change where he normally throws his curve more than any other pitch, and he went to his M- McCullers, curve. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that was at all like um, if that was all TJ related, and his velocity did start to come back as the season progressed. Um, you know, so it started off like in his first three starts, it was it's like it was like ninety three five, ninety three six, ninety four, peaked out at ninety four seven. So that's a little bit. That's a little bit encouraging. Let me actually just check something out really yeah. quick. While you're checking that out, I just encourage anybody that has questions on McCullers, try to find like the quick game pass of his last two postseason starts. I think they're both first. He's with the Astros. I can't remember. Oh, the Rays. Those were, they were filthy. Absolutely mm-hmm. filthy. So watch those. Yeah, very. It is interesting. I don't know. I got to need, I need to dive in more. Maybe uh, Dusty's convincing me here. Um, he mentions the spin rate that being there 1.5 years from TJ. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I want to dive in a little bit more on McCullers because it looks like he was worse because of that pitch mix change, prioritizing the sinker. Maybe the curveball comes back more. Um, there could be some things to like in that. So, um, yeah. because yeah, if people think that postseason before he had TJ, I think he was the guy – I'm pretty – like 99% sure maybe Dusty can clarify this. He was throwing his curveball almost every pitch in the postseason. It was like nonstop curveball after curveball after curveball after curveball. You're sitting there going – well, this is never going to end well. Like, this is just a bad idea. But now he's got that sinker working, and it's a heavy sinker because it was not just uh, not the easy hittable sinker we like to make fun of. It was it was very impressive. So I, I am a McCullers fan. I think that price tag could change if we see some uh, more quality production early in spring training. That could be quite mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I, I wonder, what's his early ADP? 131. 131. All three That's of these guys are 131. That's so high, though. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, Kevin Gossman's going right after him. So there you go. Um, 
Next up, 163.4 is Herman Marquez. 165.3 is Chris Bassett. So, yeah, Herman Marquez had a very strong season. Always the Coors effect. Do you do you take the gamble? Or do you go to Chris Bassett, who had one heck of a season oh, for man. the Open A's? So where do you sit on this one? How much do I want to uh, piss Bubba off is the real question that we're we're getting at here. I took Marquez in the, my arc to early mock. I know. You love Marquez. At 179. I, yep. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm highly aware of it. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to figure out how, how much to mess with you. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think... Usually, I usually wouldn't take him. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little challenging. Um, looks like... Looks like he was much better down the stretch. Bassett. Mm-hmm. Bassett was awesome. He was awesome down the stretch. Like he's been really pretty good now for an extended period of time. And I love those A's pitchers. There is something magical about pitching for the A's that turns like Sean Manaya into a good pitcher, who we're going to get to later. And Chris Bassett, right? I mean, I, I think it's the defense. I think it's the stadium, like that they're pitching in. Um, whatever it is. So I probably I've got to dive in a little bit more deeper on the players. I know what I'm getting in Marquez, but it is really challenging when you don't feel comfortable starting him uh, in any of his, um, in any of his rock in his home starts, you know, because I remember, you know, it wasn't this year, but like last year. And again, it's just one example, but when he gave up eight runs to your giants in like a third of an inning or something like that, right. Where you're like, Oh, the giants offense is safe there, but is, is it, is it really that safe? I don't think it's really that safe. Um, so I would probably go with Bassett, but again, I need that. It's one of those ones where it's close enough where I really need to do a little bit more of a deeper dive on each one of them. Yeah, I do Bassett in a heartbeat. Uh, his last four starts, one total earned run, and I uh, like Dusty saying that Bassett reminds him a lot of Hendricks. I think that's very true. Um, actually, very very true. If you start looking at the game logs, you could you could picture Kyle Hendricks throwing these starts. Um, it's weird too. He had three starts to start the year. He was phenomenal. Then he had a four start stretch where it was just hideous. At the Angels, at the D-backs, Homer's Angels, at Houston. Just a rough, rough stretch there. And then he finished with four strong starts. So mm-hmm. there, there's a lot to like there with Bassett. He can eat up innings. Uh, not a massive walk guy, which is very, very nice. 6.5% walk rate. Only 21% K rate, a la Kyle Hendricks type stuff. 6% barrel rate against. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Bassett quite a bit. He is going to be 32 next year. That's something to think about where, where Marquez will be turning 26. So, you got that going for you, Bassett getting a little older. But, yeah, pitching in Oco Coliseum where, you know, everybody can hit a foul ball that still gets caught is pretty wild stuff. So, yeah, I'll take Bassett in that scenario. I think that's a really, really good uh, later round pick. You know, pick 165, that's pick around 11, 11, 12-ish, give or take. That's a strong starting pitcher, I think, at that point in the draft. So, yeah, sign me up there. Yeah. But this one will be fun now. You got Tyler Molle at 185. Christian Javier, one of the Rookie of the Year finalists in the AL at 188, and Andrew Heaney at 191. So you get a little bit of everything in this one. Where do you stand on this? A little bit of everything. Um, sorry, people don't people don't listen um, to hear me sing. Uh, this one is um, pretty easy for me. I think um, I want Tyler Molly. I'm a big fan of Tyler Molly. Um, I think he is really good. I think my only question with Molly is like, yeah, he doesn't have the volume yet. Yeah. Yeah. And like, 
they don't, he doesn't really, he doesn't get that volume that you really need, you know, like not that you really need it. I mean, it depends on where you're, you're getting him and you're getting him later on in the draft, but it's like, he, um, yeah, you know, he's not going to pitch you more than six innings probably really like ever. Um, but I mean, I think the upside is absolutely huge. I mean, I'll address the other ones. Like Heaney has just never really been good, right? He's always been us hoping that he makes good on these skills that are really good, but he gets hit way too hard. Like, you know, his home run per nine was like its lowest ever this year. And it was one, two, two, you know, it's just, he just can't put it together. So I'm not on Heaney. I think Javier is going to be like the most overrated guy on the entire face of the earth. Um, I, let me, I'll, I'll, um, just to make sure that I'm not misremembering. I mean, let's see his swinging strike rate was 8.7%. His Babbitt this year was 194. His strand rate was eight, 86.2%. His O swing is 26.3%. His Z contact is 86.3%. So essentially a guy who is like worse than league average in every single category that I could care about like is somehow, you know, really good. And I don't think he's really good. I think he's just super lucky. Like one of the luckiest 54 game stretches, um, uh, you know, so I'm not totally out of him, but on Molly, Molly's super interesting. And I'm a little disappointed in myself. I was a little in on Molly last year, but he came through in some really good, um, you know, areas. Like his CSW was really good last year. His um, his percent of pitches that were balls was really good. So, he, and I'm talking about 2019 when I say last year. This year, you know, CSW at 32.4%. Um, you know, he, he he. what I feel like he did this year, I don't know if I'm just like making stuff up or not, is in previous years, he was so hittable he just get absolutely destroyed. And I feel like this year he actually made like a conscious decision that he wasn't going to give in to hitters. And so he actually used to never, he used to, I don't know what his walk rate was, but he used to never, used to be really good in percent of pitches that was balls. So his walk rate was probably lower. This year it went up and he wasn't as great, but it, because it feels like he was, he was nitpicking a little bit, like around the edges, you know, like really just kind of like, um, and not giving in, which I think is good and bad, right? You can have those massive innings, but he's got the, he's got it all. I think, I mean, he's got the velocity. He's got the, um, uh, the splitter slash change up that he's got. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So his four seam had 11.6% swinging strike rate on it. It was dominant in the zone at 78.6%. He had the cutter, which was really good. The splitter actually wasn't that good. So it was the cutter that he developed that was really good. And the slider that was also really good. Um, And so I think I love guys who have those dominant fastballs. Like that is such a, it's such a key piece for him. Um, So I love, I love Molly. I think he'll be a target for me probably as like an SP4 um, in leagues this year, because I do think that he's going to be in the rotation for the Reds. Um, I think he's too good not to have in there. I think he's got, tremendous ceiling, especially when it comes to strikeouts. And we saw that in a couple of starts last year. Yeah, no, um, Heaney is a guy that I just never like. I just throw him in there because people still draft him. It blows my mind. So um, Christian Javier, he was, he was interesting at times last year. I thought he was overrated last year already. He gets you five to six Ks a game, which is nice, but the leash is always very short on Christian Javier. 
So unless that goes to the next level, sure. I'm a Fran Valdez guy in that rotation, so I'll take that all day over Christian Ooh, Lamier. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be on that train. And then Molly, you hit all the stuff I was going to talk about. So that uh, that nails that. The improvement on the fastball was tremendous. Still walking, guys, with that fastball improvements limiting uh, limiting the quality of contact and making things much better because lefties used to destroy him. That got narrowed down quite a bit. Kept the ball in the ballpark, up the strikeout rate. Lots to like in that respect. Uh, let's go to the next one here. John Means, 216. James Paxton, 219. I, I tried to leave most of the injury guys off, but I had to throw Paxton here because he had Means, the lefty, who people still keep buying into, but he really was not that good. Then you got James Paxton, everybody loves, but he's always hurt. So where do you go with these two? Man, and they're similar ADP. Is that what you were saying? 216 and 219. That's why there's a debate. I know it's so difficult because, you know, I was kind of into, I was into um, means at the beginning of the year because really what he was showing was really good. Like he is velo was up considerably. Um, let's see what, what would it end up being year over year? Yeah. It was up 2.1 miles per hour on his velo. And if you look at the underlying metrics for means, they're all very strong, right? 12.5% swinging strike rate, 19.9% K minus walk rate, you know, 34.4% O swing. So he's getting, Guys swinging at pitches inside the zone. He's throwing the ball in the zone more. He's more dominant inside the zone. His swinging strike rate is really good. You know, and, ob- and, and actually his K rate is only 43, 43.9%, you know, so slightly better than the league average, even though the swinging strike rate at 12.4% is much better than the league average. What was his, his CSW, just so I look? This is all just a really long roundabout way of saying that I'll probably lean with means. Um, 28.2% was his CSW. So I think that's limiting it. He probably doesn't have any pitches that he can get um, called strikes on. Um, but I do really like the changes that means made. I think one of the things that I would look for, home run per nine is freaking brutal. Huh? It's very bad. Very bad. Very bad. But let's see what he, yeah, he gave up 10 barrels and 12 home runs. So we can't anticipate that that's necessarily going to continue at that particular rate. So what I would say is it depends on what happens with Paxton's health, obviously, and where he ends up. But uh, Means, I think, is a guy that I really like. Um, but what did you say that the ADPs were? 216 and 219. I might be in on Means there, but I don't think so, just because Camden is really hard. I mean, we all – it's really hard, and the AL East is is a hard division to pitch in, and it's not going to get easier, right? Your baby Blue Jays are going to be so much better, and the Yankees are going to be strong as usual. The Red Sox, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, I don't even know who the other team in that division is. Who, who am I missing? Uh, the, the AL champions. The Rays. Oh, my God. Yancey. Yancey, do not. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um the, uh, the Rays, yeah, are going to be better next year, um, I think, hitting-wise, at least, um, in this year. So. Yes, yeah, this, this one's just ridiculously tricky. Like, Paxton off the injury, he was playing catch, almost postseason eligible last year, but they didn't do it. Um, so it's not like he, he's not going to be ready, but how ready is the question. Means is interesting because you watch him and you play DFS, you want to go against him. He gave up a home run in, almost, in all but one start this year. It, he he gave up one run in each of his last four starts, also the home runs. Like, the dude gives up so many home runs. It's terrorizing. Like, he gets lucky when they're solo shots, and that's because he's not walking a lot of guys. One, one walk or less in every start, that's very promising. Um, his last five starts, he threw five innings or more. 
He had five or more Ks in three of those four. If he's striking guys out and not walking guys, obviously you're limiting the damage. So as he finished the year on a big run to lure people back in, which is Ooh, the thing. Man, no, Bubba, was it a big run? I'm looking at his rolling average graph. It's looking hot. Yeah, I've seen like Alex Fast and others just, I think Ben Palmer and some just drool over it. The same okay. kind of conversations I feel like we had in the, in the winter of 2019. So, like, it, it's frustrating because he was an all-star in 2019. Things were great. And then it, it got ugly earlier this year. And then he got it going. He's got to keep the ball in the ballpark. That's the yeah. bottom line. Like, I know Camden Yards, the ball flies out of there. I know there's potential regression, like you're saying, 10 barrels, 12 homers. I don't care if he gave up 10 home runs because he only made, what, 11 starts? 10 starts to make 10 total starts. It's still a home run to start. Like, that's just – you can't be doing that if you want to be a elite pitcher at some sort. Like a four five three ERA still had a five six FIP and a four four five X FIP. So it wasn't like he was getting too unlucky across the board there. Um, he scares the, the snot out of me. Uh, facing those those teams over there in the East, it, it really, really concerns me. So I'll probably – Pass on means. If means figures it out, I'll tip my cap. But uh, I'm not going to take packs either. If I just pick between the two, I'll pick means. But uh, like where means is going, for instance, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird spot because like right before him, Nate Pearson, I passed there. But Brady Singer, Kristen McKenzie, maybe. But then after packs, you have Urquetti, Zach Eflin, I would look into. So it's a, it's a very odd section right there. Um, I do think that this is one really helpful place where rolling average graphs are a really important tool. So if folks who are listening or who are watching, like I feel like these types of questions, like when you have these guys who are kind of similar and like, or where somebody put together like a really hot end to their year are super helpful because you can look at the changes. So like with means it's super interesting. So in his last five games, it's a very small sample, but again, like, with pitchers, these really small samples can be meaningful if there's actual changes that are resulting in their improvements. Now, dramatic drop in his Z-contact. His Z-contact over his last five starts was 74.9%. That is insanely good. That's like Lucas Giolito leading the lead type of good, right? And one of the things that he did, he actually faded his change up a little bit down to 21.3%, but he upped his forcing fastball to 54%. So it's actually with his using his fastball more, he was able to become more dominant. Swinging strike rate up to 14.3%. O-swing also up to 28.1%. And so, like, I think that there's actual concrete changes that he made. Again, I think everything that you're mentioning, Bubba, is super important. Like, the quality of contact. We've seen guys before who have elite skills, Andrew Heaney we just talked about, who cannot limit the contact. But means, I think what's super interesting, forcing fastball, again, people probably already know this, we're already, like, all over him. So I apologize if this is just repetition, but his forcing fastball last year, 12.3% swinging strike rate, 75.3% in the zone, right? So a guy who can dominate with his fastball like that, especially with the 2.1 mile per hour increase in his velocity, like if he brings that back into spring training, I think you can be pretty certain that he'll be able to, um, that he'll be able to, to roll with that. So I think it's, it's a really appetizing, pick right there at 215 you know not without risk as you mentioned before but i think it's super interesting if you want to dig even deeper is four seamer at a 155 batting average against 129 x batting average so maybe you should utilize that a little more still got five homers with it but his, his change up gave up a 275 average and his slider gave up a 308 average so just looking mm-hmm. at a few things four seam curveball those were the effective pitches maybe 
mix him up there because you look at his, his pitch mix. It's a four-seamer changeup, and he barely throws his curve and slider. Like, maybe throw the curve a little more instead of the changeup, see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming they, they look at things like this. You'd hope to God they have someone that looks at things like this. But yeah, I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's super – yeah. That four seam, I mean, this is this is like such a great example of like what actually meaningfully changes pitcher performance, right? Like that pitch mix change, like like the velocity. When you gain 2.1 miles per hour on your fastball, what your fastball does, what means his fastball does is go from 7% swinging strike rate to 12.3%, right? And then his, and then, you know, Inside the zone, it goes from a league average in zone contact rate to a 75.3%. And he can dominate the zone in there. His forcing fastball is 51.4, well, 54.1% in the zone. So he's got a pitch that even when he's like struggling, and again, you mentioned like he gives up a bunch of home runs, it's a forcing fastball, you know, more fly balls and all that jazz. But like that's super, it's super interesting. Well, it's, it's not just, it's not, it's not just gaining the 2.1 mile per hour on the fastball. That just makes his other pitches more effective because it, it widens the gap there as well. So yeah. when he wants to throw Absolutely. that curveball and, and snap that thing off, now it looks even slower or whatever you want to say, however you want to say it perfectly or precisely or something, it changes that even more. Like I know, like you know, in a lot of great pitchers, like if you play baseball, it makes sense. Like a guy that throws a good fastball on any type of off speed pitch, the larger the gap, the more effective it's going to be. So it's just it's common sense type stuff, but. Like some might go, oh, it's only two miles an hour. Like, really, what could it do? It does a lot because it mm-hmm. changes not just his fastball; it changes the entire pitch mix. It, it changes it all. So maybe Dude. he gets more spin and stuff. It can get crazy. Yeah, I mean, this is like this, he is the perfect guy to talk about when you talk about pitchers because, like, you look at his repertoire too. Like, you know, you mentioned the curve and the slider. Then they're not good pitches, right? They get low swinging strike rates on him. And so if he could do something, like if he could do something in the offseason to improve, like pitch design-wise, to improve that slider especially, you know, I looked at his profile. I was like, this dude has hardcore reverse splits, and he does have hardcore reverse yes. splits. Yeah, where like lefties yeah. have a 321 Woba and righties have a 297 Woba. And the reason for that is that his changeup, because he's a lefty, yep. is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to be more effective against righties, and that's his – go to pitch, but he doesn't have a pitch to get lefties out, you know, outside of the four seam fastball. And so I think this is like a suit, like everything about John means is like a case example for how you can analyze and see exactly what a pitcher needs. And it's like, if he could develop like a slider, like if I read notes on him in the spring that are like John means worked in the off season on designing a slider, you know, to complement his changeup and his four seam fastball, like I'm in. He needs right. to go to he needs to go to drive line just to learn how to spin his curveball more. Totally, and I mean, like something along, just, just something simple like that. It doesn't have to get a new pitch. Just learn how to spin your ball a little more, get a little more movement on them all, and it changes everything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I was him, I'd be like, dude, if I can develop that the slider. I mean, I don't know. I mean, curves curves are, are I don't know are curves agnostic on like a, from a splits perspective. Like if you throw a curveball. Is that more effective, generally speaking, against righties or lefties? I want to say there. If it's a normal twelve to six, it shouldn't matter a ton. Um, if it's like if some of those guys throw that curveball, it's almost yeah. in between the twelve to six and in between the slider, or that yeah. might be a little different. But most of them are twelve to six. There's like the you know Kershaw's, McCullers, the really good ones. But 
it's the whole spin. Like how much does it drop? How fast does it drop? Like does it go straight and then drop off the table? Different things like that. And that's just your spin yeah. on it. And that that changes a lot right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. So, I mean, it's really interesting, but I mean, if he can develop that, right, you've got the dominating lefty too. I mean, 94.5 from the left, dominating forcing fastball. And then you can throw the change to righties and then you can get a slider that is actually effective against a lefty. I mean, I think that's like legitimate stud stuff. So it'll be really interesting to monitor him. I mean, a lot of smart people are already in on him. So I don't want to jump too hard on the bandwagon, but uh, I'm really digging what I'm seeing from John Means, and hopefully that's the pitching staff can help him get to the point. I mean, you know what would be super interesting is if he threw a cutter. Like, even a cutter, I think, would be super interesting. Maybe maybe if he can't get the – maybe if there's something about delivery or something that doesn't let him get that sweeping slider or something that's more effective against lefties, like a cutter would be really interesting um, as well. But, yeah. Uh, so that's the play there. But let's go to the next one. Mitch Keller, Justice Sheffield. I like this one a lot too. Young arms. Uh, Justice showed some improvements to end the season. Mitch Keller came back from injury. looked good uh, in his like one or two starts at the end. Uh, Mitch Keller, 277. Justice Sheffield, 280. Where do you stand on these two? Um, I don't know what was going on with Keller last year. I mean, I'm totally out on on Keller. Um because I just have no idea what was going on. I mean, he had like a negative K minus walk rate. He also had like a one Oh eight or something like that. Babbitt against, you know, the regression coming from that four seventy five Babbitt that he had swinging strike rate at 7.3%. I just think it's too all over the place to really know like what you're going to get from him. And then I think Sheffield, I mean, I feel bad for Sheffield. I think some folks, um, Michael Aheto and, some other guys had a, did a really good job of highlighting like how much better Sheffield was than Javier last year. And I mean, Sheffield, um, you know, I was into him earlier this year because he has those two pitches that are really good. I mean, nothing like really jumps off the page at you, but you know, the 0.33 home run per five ball, he, he was really good. He only gave up two home runs, but I know that he was also really good at, at managing contact. So I don't know. I mean, I have to dive in a little bit more for Sheffield to see what exactly was going on. It's just the sinker is just such a low sinker is just not a good pitch. You know, it's tough. So, oh, yeah. sorry. you know, no, no, go ahead. I talk way too much. as it is. Um, Yeah. No, I wasn't going to give up on Keller just yet. Um, that walk issue. He had eight walks in his last start. Other than that, he was not horrible. So uh, maybe there's something else going on there. He's injured early in the season. So I'm not completely giving up on him yet because what, what he's got is still very good. Still suspect. Sheffield, on the other hand, he showed some signs of life there towards the end of the year. That was very intriguing. He had like one bad start against the Angels in the middle of the season. Otherwise, he reeled off uh, about seven uh, seven of eight solid, solid starts, which really I did not see coming. Uh, the strikeouts, five or more Ks in most starts. Walks are still a bit concerning, but he keeps the ball in the ballpark, which is huge. Um, out of those seven of eight starts I was mentioning, only one home run, which was great. Two run runs or less in every start. Um, I'm a big fan of that, and that can be something we keep building off of. So I'm curious to see where he goes from there, if he can increase uh, increase improvements on the walk, maybe try to up the strikeouts a little bit. That would be good. So I'd probably go Sheffield over Keller, but uh, it's still not a smash thing. But at this point in the draft, 
you're, you know, you're at pick 277 and 280, you can start taking chances like this because you know, Luis Severino off an injury, Michael Kopech, maybe see what he does, Ty- uh, Taiwan Walker, stuff like that. I don't mind taking a shot on Justice Sheffield. So. I mean, the major question is, is if you're looking at these two guys to draft these guys in the draft and Drew Smiley is still sitting there, what are you doing? Which he what means. are you thinking? Have you ever no. thought about what you're doing? We we got to see where he's pitching next year, so we'll start with that. I mean, doesn't matter. <laughs> Why yeah. did the Giants extend him the qualifying offer? I'd pay eighteen point nine million dollars for for Drew Smiley. Oh man, if they only knew you were in a, a GM, if only they knew. Dude, I, yeah, I'm going to be the new GM for the Mats under uh, Steve Cohen and his fourteen billion dollars, and uh, I'm just gonna. It's gonna be bye bye bye. I'm gonna have a four hundred million dollar payroll. It's gonna be nice. Nice. Uh, the last one we have here: Sean Mania picked two ninety nine point two. Jordan Montgomery picked two ninety nine point five. Two young lefties that have been hot and cold throughout the last year or so. Where do you stand on Mania versus Montgomery? I think I'm gonna have to go with Montgomery here. I mean, it's a little bit challenging because. Um, Manaya just always somehow seems to pitch well. Like the metrics are never good. Nothing ever looks good, but the ERA is always reasonable. And, you know, like look at Jordan Montgomery. I mean, 12.9% swinging strike rate, really good. 19.7% K minus walk rate, really good. One of the highest O swings in the league at 37.1%. And he's also good in the zone. He's better than the average at 80.6%, you know, um, Really, really solid. Like all of the metrics that you want to see are really good from him. And he's also really good CSW, 32.4%, you know, um, compared to, and then he's, you know, one of the better pitchers when it comes to the percent of pitches that are balls. So he's got everything that you want to see, you know, it's just a matter of like, I think, you know, 320 Babbitt, 65% strand rate. 1.43 1.43 home runs my home run per nine, but he's also got a 1.25 home run per nine over 230 career innings. But, you know, he had a velocity increase as well, 0.8 miles per hour last year. So I would go with him just because I think the skills all point to that and he's in a really good situation. And I think, you know, with guys leaving, like I think he'll step into that Yankees rotation. Um, so I'd go with him, but like, yeah, I mean, Manaya, I guess he wasn't all that good this year, four or five ERA, but like, you know, Career three eight five ERA in five hundred forty seven innings, a one two WHIP, which is solid. You know, doesn't really get the strikeouts either, but like just somehow manages to do well. Um, I just I don't always understand it with him. So I would go with Montgomery. I think I'd be favored there, but like Manaya at this point is just one of those guys where you're like, I never draft him because nothing ever looks good, but then all of a sudden he just like performs, and so at a certain point. When his ADP hits a certain spot, you're just like, well, a 380 RA with a one-two whip on an A's team that's pretty good is 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 like at this point like a fairly decent investment, right? Yeah, that's that's the troublesome part of it. Like Manaya just if you just watch the games, it's not pretty. So it makes it really hard to like he gets the job done. It just it's hard to stomach at times what he's doing. He's not striking guys out, which is usually a bugaboo for me picking guys right out the gate. So I lean Montgomery as well. I like Montgomery coming into the year. Obviously, he didn't get the, you know, he was in and out of the rotation and all the things the Yankees were doing. But uh, he's more of a bullpen piece at times for the Yanks. But uh, I do like Montgomery quite a bit if he gets a stable spot in that rotation. 
uh, with the, the lineup behind him. I think it's pretty darn good. But Nia just feels like he's just like one little oops away from getting destroyed every time out there. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll go with Montgomery on this one and, uh, hope I hope one of these days the Mania thing falls apart as we, uh, have grown to hope for. All right. Um, let's go into the listener questions. Like I said, we had leftovers from last week. Let me scroll back and find some of these guys. Uh, I think that's it right there. Okay. Let's start with J dub the gamer. We actually talked about him. Give your real quick thoughts here. Molly thoughts. Is he just a streamer option or a legit roster starting pitcher? I think he is legit for sure. I mean, I don't think I ran through it, but I'll just, um, I'll do that. I'll do that now. Um, so just like for, for people who are um, uh, newer to the podcast or like just thinking about the metrics that I'm mentioning. So like generally speaking, the way that I think about it is like K minus walk rate is the most valuable thing that you can look at. Um, but when it comes to like control, I want to look at O swing. So percent of pitches outside the zone, you know, zone percentage, percent of pitches that are balls, first pitch strike rate, things like that to find out like how good their control is. And then for, you know, um, other things, it's like swing strike rate, in zone contact rate is really like, if you look at in zone contact rate leaders, those are guys that can dominate in the zone, which is so important because when you're behind in the count or, you know, you can just kind of, a, yeah, I feel like you're in more of an attack mode in that particular instance. So, um, and then CSW. So like for Molly last year, right? Like strikeout rate was 29.9% off of a 13.8% swinging strike rate, right? His um, CSW was 32.4%. So out of all the pitchers in baseball with 400 pitches, which also actually includes like a bunch of relievers, he was 38th in the league. You know, he was better than guys like Corbin Burns for CSW, um, Max Scherzer, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Framber Valdez, Walker Bueller, Zach Plesac. He was better than all those guys on CSW. His problem was like his walk. So he had that 13.8% swinging strike rate. His in zone contact rate was 80.4%. We already talked about the fastball, which had a great swinging strike rate and was really good in the zone. He developed a cutter that was also a really good pitch for him. So again, like he's doing like everything that you could hope for. There's probably some regression in the Babbitt. It's at 255, but um, you know, I think he's really good. And the control metrics aren't great. Um, 10.4% walk rate. Um, you know, I don't love to see that, but I think this stuff is dominant enough where, you know, if, especially if you have solid ratios with your first couple pitchers, like he could be a really good, like high ceiling, I think pretty reasonable floor type of guy next year. Yep, we uh, talked about that earlier. Torres talks baseball. Thoughts on Jordan Montgomery? Just talked about that. So we have man, you- we are just we're nailing it. Yeah, we got you covered there, Mister Torres talks baseball. Uh, Daniel Mendelson, what are your thoughts on Cal Quantrill? He snagged him in both of his mocks so far, and wondering if he could be the next Cleveland project to pay up for. I think that's a very viable question. I was big on Quantrill in San Diego, and I think he's one of those guys that could actually get a chance. There's no chance for him in San Diego, uh, full-time chance. Like, he was decent when he was there, never really got the run. I think he's a guy that could uh, use some of that yeah, Indians upside that they do with their starting pitching there and get some everyday work. I, I don't mind him as all well as a late, late pick. I don't think I'd – he's not a guy I don't think you have to draft this year, but he's a guy that's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, um, I definitely think he's worth keeping an eye on. I don't think he has – 
the secondaries to make that jump yet. Like he doesn't have one pitch that really stands out to me. Like maybe the slider in 2019, it had a 15.6% swinging strike rate, you know, even out of the bullpen, you know, this year. Well, actually, I mean, the sinker didn't have a strong swinging strike rate, but the four seam actually had a decent one. It's only a 36 pitch sample. So I don't know, but yeah, I mean, being on the, being on the, the, on Cleveland is really helpful, um, you know, in terms of their development of pitchers. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he's able to do. He's certainly worth a dart throw. I think his, what's his, I don't think he was probably drafted um, in the two early mocks, right? He said he took him in both mocks. So he should have. Uh, 365. Okay. He was picked one, two, three, four, five out of five out of nine drafts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So super late round tar- dart throw. I think it's, it's a really reasonable dart throw to make. Yeah. Um, the next question is from uh, Mr. Cheesecake himself, Art from the same podcast as Mr. Middleson, Triple Play Fantasy. Art asks, who's your best bet starting pitcher past pick 250 to reach top 30 next season? Oh, man. Bubba, do you have one off the top of your head that you're thinking about? There's a couple I've gandered upon. Um, one that stands out to me, it's because I, mean, I always get sucked into him because of his strikeout upside. If he just limits the damage, and he didn't get a one home run in his six start or five starts last year, which is big. Michael Pineda could be interesting to me. He's always a guy top 30. That's pushing it, but his strikeout upside and the, the ability to actually keep it in the ballpark this year, last year was a big, big uh, plus for me. And then I'll steal another one real quick. The other guy, everyone was huge on last year. I wanted nothing to do with because of the injury. And I'm still kind of scared because he never had surgery and he just rehabbed it, but he was very effective, especially down the stretch last year. Griffin Canning could be an interesting one next year. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. But uh, who do you got? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've honed in on one guy in particular. I'd say Jordan Montgomery. We kind of we talked about him already earlier, but he's got everything that you would need. Maybe he just needs a little bit of luck, and he's got a really great environment to pitch in. Uh, I talked about Drew Smiley. I don't know about top 30 just because I think it's – challenging for him to get to that volume, um, having not really gotten anywhere close to the volume you'd need probably to be a top 30 um, pitcher. Uh, But I think he's going to be really, really good. Obviously, it depends on where he lands. Um, I do hope that he ends up back with the Giants. But whoever he goes with, I think, will be kind of an analytically driven team. And I think it'll be really good. I mean, you know where it would be really great? Where it would be phenomenal for him to end up would be in Oakland, actually. Uh, Drew Smiley in Oakland would be Absolutely uh, scrumptious. Um, scrumptious. Um, you say Kikuchi. I need to dive in a little bit more, but the velocity increase that he had last year was was ter- terrific. Um, you know, he really had uh, some more. He really was unlucky last year, and I think he's a really good pitcher. Um, and then I think the one other guy that I will mention is – um, you know, I don't know if top 30, just cause the strikeout rate isn't there, but I think we are taking Ryan Yarborough and what he's been able to do for like a season and a half now for granted. I mean, he's got, I think he's got the best O swing in all of baseball, super low walk rate. The K rate isn't always there, but he's got enough pieces where it could be really good. The Rays are obviously really good. The volume is a little bit of a challenge, but in a full season, um, I think he, he's really good. I think he's kind of like, you know, he's, he, he, I think is maybe 
you know, he, I don't know if Hendricks is a good example. I don't know how good his, his contact. Actually, I think he's Hendricks like, I think he's Hendricks like at a later price. Yeah. The biggest thing with, with Yarborough, he's, he's outstanding. I don't disagree with what you said is he just doesn't go deep into games. That's what they got. They got to fix that. There's a lot of games where he didn't even get past four innings last year. Um, and that I'm not going to say it's just because it's a 60 game season because it was leaving late in the season. It's just a trend they have with him. So, if they could establish him like they did with Yanni Trinos before Trinos got hurt, that'd be huge for you, bro. But um, yeah, that that'd be the difference for me. Uh, Matt, I, oh, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say he did have seven seven of his eleven appearances this year were for five or more innings. So right. that's at least a little bit encouraging. Yeah, for get, us, get us to the quality start world, and then we can start getting serious right. about this. Um, Matt Cupferly, he asked a question. I'm going to say, Matt, we already answered all of it, but he wants to know about a grouping of pitchers, Male, Javier, Musgrove, Singer, Means, and why are they so rosterable that late in the draft and why is Means the best? Well, we already hit on that, Matt, so thank you very much for listening. Um, Matty OT3 asks, what do you think Luis Severino's line looks like in 2021? Oh, man. You're talking to a guy who was never, who was not a Luis Severino fan for the last like season and a half before. I just want to know um, how healthy he is come opening day. I don't yeah. know how he's going to be. That's a I big, mean, big question. The last news I saw is they're expecting him back in like June at some point. Um, so I would say four or five ERA, one three whip, strikeout per nine. Yeah, the strikeouts will be there for sure. Um, I'm trying to uh, see what's. Dreamer has him at, but I don't think I'm going to have time to go through every stinking page here. So, yeah, we're going to stop at page three. Um, I, I can see the K per nine. Let's say 140 innings, give or take, and an ERA around 3-9. So, that's where I'll, I'll go with Severino. I, I like Severino a lot. There's just a lot of question marks right now for that question. Um, Mike Curlin, good old Sleepy K, asks, Who's a big riser and big faller you think we'll see as early drafts get rolling? So who will go up and who will fall? Yes. Um, God, I'd say Means is going to rise just based on everything that I see. I think Means and Musgrove based on two early mocks, you know, because there's just so much to like out of their profiles. You know, Musgrove's at 203, Means is at 216. I think we see both of them settle, settle around the like. 150 to 160 range. Um, fallers, I think that, I think once people dive in a little bit, I think you will see, um, I think once you dive in, I mean, Dustin May. Wow. Okay, I'll go, I'll go Ian Anderson, I think is going to, it can be so a hit or two. At one thirty. It could be. Oh, it could be. It could be a hit or two. He didn't specify. Oh man, it's hard. Actually, it's hard to see. Um, it's so hard. So I think fallers for hitters are going to be as I sort through this little thing here. Um, man, it's really quite hard, honestly. Um. Brandon Lau. That was the guy I had circled. I think he falls. I think he's going to fall. Yeah. 
I think people are excited about his postseason and everything and his, his overall season, but I think he'll, he'll fall because people will go back to the way they thought about him before. And not that low, but he'll fall. Yeah. And I, you know, I think guys like Hinjin Ryu always fall too because, and I think, I think, I think the same is true of, um, of Kyle Hendricks. I think he'll also fall as well because when people dive in, I think a lot of times around draft season, ceiling takes over, you know, people are like, they get really excited about high K upside and things like that. And every year it seems with Hendricks, I don't think it'll be quite as much, but I wouldn't be surprised if he settled. I think he's going around like pick 80, right? Something like that. Is that where he's at Hendricks? Yeah. He's at pick 80. I think I'd be, I think he'll settle around 100 to 105. Um, and I think Hunjin Ryu will fall in a similar place. All righty. Um, the next one we have here is Zach Brath. He says he can keep four of these five players, and he's strongly considering going with three starting pitchers to one bat. Options are Cole, Bueller, Glasnow, Machado, Bobachet. Will Bueller and Glasnow be good enough to keep while leaving out Bo or Machado? Um, I think in this particular instance, I would probably drop Glasnow. Yes. I think. Um, because you have Cole and Bueller, so you're super solid for starting pitchers, regardless of how deep the league is. Um, and then you have Machado and Bo are a really nice start to a team. So I'd go with those four. Yep, I'm 100% with you there. Drop glass now, keep the other four and rock and roll. Uh, Dave Petrozzello, he asks, how do you feel about Dylan Cease at ADP 283 and Spencer Turnbull at 310? I think those guys still have upside, but both – also have control issues. I'm a big Turnbull guy at 310. I think that's great. I think I took him in the two early mocks. I think he's a guy I want to try to get a lot of lot late in drafts and roll the dice on that. Dylan Cease, until he can learn to strike guys out, I didn't want nothing to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cease is so tough because it's, he's got all the tools. He's got the velo. He had that changeup that was so renowned like coming up, but he's just never been able to put it together. I'm hopeful that the new – well, I was hopeful, I should say. I was hopeful that the new White Sox pitching coach would um, come in and, you know, be analytically driven and, and whatever and, and kind of move them away from – I mean, they're, they're pitching – they last had a pitching coach change in 2002. Um, you know, so that just tells you, um, you know. And so – and they haven't been able to develop, but that kind of goes out the window with the La Russa hire, you know, depending on who it ends up being. Um, and then – uh, Turnbull was really interesting to me this year. I think some of it will depend on the velocity. I think one of the challenges is is just the control is so bad for Turnbull. He walks so many guys, and he can't get swings on pitches outside the zone that um, that it really worries me. Um, so yeah, so this year twenty six point one percent O swing, twelve percent walk rate. You know, so it's just like. You know, but I think his velo was down. I don't know. It was about even. So he just hasn't been able to put it all together. But he's the type of guy I liked. I liked him a lot heading into this year just because he does have, you know, a decent four-seam fastball. He's got to stop throwing that damn sinker. Jesus. Um, and the slider is good. But, yeah. Yeah, so I'd go, I'd go Turnbull of those two. All right. Chris at Baseball Pods asks, if I have, if I have a pick towards the end of the first round, and top three aces are gone. I'm thinking about a pocket Kings strategy in 2021. 
get two bats in the first two rounds, and then grab two arms with a 30 to 60 AP, like Flaherty, Kershaw, Maeda, Snell, Woodruff, Lamette, Lynn, Gray, Glass now. What are your thoughts on that, Toby? Are you good with him taking – if he can get one of two of those two of those groups of pitchers by getting two big bats early, I'm 100% on board with that, but I know that's not usually your style. Yeah, I mean, I think I think – you know, there's so many ways you can, you can do it and you can win. Um, I mean, I think my, my challenge always, and again, it depends on what you're going to get. Right. So if you go hit or hitter and you're coming back around and then you go like Kershaw, right. Kershaw's done it before. Like we know he's got, he's been able to have extremely good ratios. He's been able to have decent strikeouts. You have to be a little bit worried about volume and strikeouts. You know, if he's your number one starting pitcher, but I think like the key thing for me is just like, you know, it's really hard to project somebody to do, do something that they've never done before. And so like a good example of like a, a Lance Lynn, like Lance Lynn's a fine, you know, SP2, right? But if I look at what Lance Lynn's been able to do, and again, like I'll do recent history just because if I include some other years, it'll totally undermine my point. But no, honestly, like, so Lance Lynn's ERA is the last four year, 332, 367, 477. 343, right? He did have a 303 ERA and a 274 ERA back in 14, 15 before TJS, but those last four years, right? And so, you know, Steamer projects him at a 416 ERA and a 127 whip. I think that Steamer is going to be wrong there, right? But it's really hard to project Lance Lynn to have better than like to have better than a 332 ERA, for example, right? you know, um, or even a three, four, three, because that's like the, the, in a full season, the best that he's been able to contribute. Right. And then he's only had a whip under one, two, two once. And that was in a shortened season. So the challenge I have is that with it, with aces, the reason why you're drafting them is because they've been there before and they've showed you the incredible potential that they have. And so with a guy like Lynn, if you're leading with two guys like Lynn and somebody else, right. And they've never had an ERA under, like let's just say three, three, five or something like that over 200 innings in a full season with 200 plus Ks. It's really hard to assume that they're going to be able to do that. And that is likely going to be your best pitcher. And so if you're hoping to have like, you know, I don't know, like a 370 ERA or something like that, and that's what your best pitchers are doing, then you're need, going to need to get some guy who comes out of nowhere or who, who does much better than he's anticipated in order to whittle that down or have extremely good relievers, which again, we know the volatility, it's hard to get. And so, you know, again, you can do that. And I think that's a super viable strategy, but I just think that for me, I, the reason, you know, it's, I'm like a broken record. The reason why I go there is because they've done it before really good. And that sets a really good foundation and a really low, you know, ratio, you know, thing. That's it. I'm going to stop. Yes, I, I'm good with your. Sorry, your yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's a really good, it's a really good, it's a really good strategy. It just takes different things happening. At Steve Meyer asks if you pick towards the end in a 15 team league, very un- oh he's commenting on uh, he's commenting on Christmas things. Never mind. Nicholas got Mister Not Burt Reynolds asks two part question relating to Sandy Alcantara 111.80p in the two early mocks. Why and just why? I think we kind of hit on that last week. I think we both really like him. We just think that there's Probably. That, that, that there's not, yeah, and there's no ceiling. There's not, a, I, we don't see the ceiling yet for Alcantara there. 
for him to beat that. For sure. Uh, Joseph Morrow asks, he seemed to go backwards in his development and kind of – oh, he's talking about Chris Paddock. Uh, he seemed to go backwards in his development and kind of ranked in the playoffs. Where is he with that third pitch? And so you guys expect a rebound. I'm drafting as a number three based on no research and blind guessing. So what's your thoughts on Chris Paddock? Yeah, Chris Paddock is really tough. I mean, for his third pitch, you know, you know, no. The curveball is not it. Curveball is not going to be it. It sucks. It was horrible this year. 5.6% swinging strike rate. Doesn't get pitches. Sw- swings on pitches outside the zone. Now, the cutter, you know, he developed it late. It was interesting, but we don't really know. We have a 34-pitch sample on that one. Um, so maybe that's going to be it. I think one of the things that he really struggled with was the forcing fastball got absolutely destroyed. And there was a significant shift in the spin rate. Like it's just, there was a little bit of cut on it, I think. And it was something that I think, Eno Saris mentioned is something that it's really hard to work on in season, but maybe in between seasons, they might be able to work on it. But, you know, we also have to remember like um, Paddock, you know, was, was probably due some regression, right? A 237 Babbitt in 2019. Again, he's got elite command apparently, but you know, he had a 237 Babbitt, so that was gonna regress. It wasn't even that bad, it was just the home runs, but even 2019 had a 1.47 home runs per nine. And so I don't know. I mean, I think a three is fine for him. Um, but it's there's a lot of different directions he could go. Yeah, no, I wasn't on Chris Paddock last year. I had him ranked outside of the top 30, and people thought I was crazy. I won't be on him this year. I said he needs a third pitch, and he doesn't have it at all. It's bad. Um, Lucas J. Beery asks, Mr. Beery Blocks, can you give me some thoughts on a few hurt guys, Soroka and the TJ trio of Sale, Syndergaard, Severino? I know we hit on Severino, but uh, do you have any thoughts on Soroka, Sale, and Syndergaard? Uh, Soroka. Um, Syndergaard would be interesting because I think he had his TJ – I don't know what his schedule was like, but I know he had it pretty early on. Um, uh, Soroka, not really interested just because, you know, I just wasn't a huge fan of him even before the Achilles, and the Achilles is it's pretty brutal. Um, I don't know. I mean, all these guys are just kind of like, there's nothing we can really do right now, right? Like, we're all just guessing about what's going to happen. And so maybe you're drafting early and, you know, you want to take a risk on them, but we just aren't going to have a full picture on them until closer to the season. And so it's all just kind of hearsay. There's not much we can do. I mean, I expect that Chris Sale is still going to be really freaking good when he comes back from TJ. But um, I don't know. I know that wasn't helpful, but anything else you'd add, Bubba? No, that's pretty much my theory. Like, I don't want anything to do with them until we find out more about them. Because even if they come back at the earliest – I don't even know if they'll start the season technically because Syndergaard was still not until top of my head, like June or something. It wasn't like a, it wouldn't have happened in April or something. So he'd be back potentially by April. So a lot of these guys I don't feel very comfortable with. So I'll just be passing on them until maybe some positive news comes out. But regardless, it's not going to be pretty, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, my friends, that'll do it. That is the last listener yeah. question. I think, wait, nope, got one more. I don't know. Oh, this is the, I think it's at MS. Paint the picture of a dream world draft while everything falls your way within reason and your first five picks go exactly as planned. 
Who are those picks? Oh, Obviously, God. it's so early in the process for 21, but wanted to change it up a bit and have some fun. All right. Do you want? Do you do you know what yours would be? I thought about this question a little bit. If you've thought about yours, you can go. I'm just going to go through the ADP basically and take one guy in each round. Okay, I think at this point, if if my draft went exactly how I would want it to go, I would draft uh, Garrett Cole in the first round. And what I'm going to do is just use like if they're max picking the two early draft happen. I would get Garrett Cole in the first round. Uh, I would get, I mean, I guess theoretically I could get Darvish in, in there if I was going by two early mocks, but I don't think that's going to happen. So Garrett Cole in the first, Lucas Giolito in the second, Adalberto Mondesi in the third, JT Realmuto in the fourth, And then in the fifth, I would draft. Hmm. I'm trying to think if that's this now. The fifth is a little hard. In the fifth, I would draft um, maybe Carlos Carrasco. Or actually... Yeah, or like Carrasco, Lynn, or Gallon, something like that. All right, I'll go Ronald Acuna, and then I'll go with you, Darvish, in the second round. In the third round, I think I'm going to go Mondesi, too, which is terrifying, but I think I'm there. Wow. Yeah, I liked what I saw. I've taught, I've, I've preached him up, actually, this offseason, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm just uh, hopping on the bandwagon today. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have more people there because Siege was leading that that bus, which is always a scary bus to be on. But um, round four, see, this is where it's tough to take Mondesi because I know you got JTR. It's probably the right move to make, as we've seen. But, man, Tim Anderson right there in the fourth round is mm. it's pretty nice. Pretty, pretty nice. But I already have I already have Alberto Mondesi. So like, let's see here. Instead of Alberto Mondesi... We could go with. Hmm, I don't really like anything else there. Yeah, I'm going to take Monacy. So then we will sneak in. Man, the pitching's not ideal there either. Hmm. I guess we'll go JTR. That is not what I wanted to do there, but that's about where we're oh, sitting. Man. And then in round four, I'm going to take a guy later. I'm going to go Nelson Cruz. Hmm. So that's. I think that's where I'd go. One thing is I, I might I might change mine up a little bit because I think if I get out of Ultramondesi, I think that Real Muto, his value relative to like a Sal Perez a bunch of rounds later True. is not necessarily as high. So if I were to get Mondesi in the third, then in the fourth, I would probably go with like maybe like Eloy Jimenez or or even, well, Anderson's another shortstop, so maybe not him, but Starling Marte maybe. Maybe Starling Marte, something like that. What's the problem? Uh, shortstop's so deep. It's like I want to take all these guys, but then I'm passing up on probably the replacement value for another position that's huge. Yeah. So it gets tricky. It's a fun question. It's a fun yeah. question. Most definitely is. Uh, that wraps us up for Bubba on the Bat for 55. Any final thoughts on the week or the, the, the podcast, what's coming up, anything? Final thoughts. 
Um, I just think, you know, we're getting close. I'm starting to get the itch. I see other people drafting. I want to take a little bit more time. I want, I'd like to have a little bit of knowledge first, but I think it's getting exciting. And I just want to thank everybody for all the questions. I mean, the engagement, like, you know, this early in the season is really exciting to see. So really appreciate everybody, you know, listening and, um, and watching and streaming if, if that's what you're doing. So just a kudos to everybody. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate you, Bubba. Yes, sir. Appreciate you as well. And uh, yeah, everybody, the questions, keep them coming. It makes the show so much more enjoyable for Toby and I until we really get some meat and potatoes to talk about, which we're kind of not there yet. So uh, keep the questions coming. It's a lot of fun. Gets our mind thinking on different things. But uh, we'll do it again next week. Um, Sunday, Monday, sometime next week. See how things go. Yeah. Uh, check out. We're, we're about to go Sunday, Monday. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be one of those two days. I promise, one of those two days for sure. Um, you can check out Toby on Twitter at batflipcrazy. I'm Matt Beatty. Intrick. Enjoy your week. Uh, stay safe out there. We'll catch you guys next time. Catch you later. <laughs>